0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Next up in our Poets by the Fire series, Andrew Dean Wright on the tension of approval, the playfulness of words, and on what poetry does to and for him. I think
0: poetry requires you to look more closely at your world. How would I convey this moment, this feeling? What are the things that I'm going to remember? And then sharing that.
1: And of course, he treats us to a couple
0: readings. Writing is a prayer. To make these experiences real and to make these lessons concrete, my friend, I do poetry because that is the space where God and man meet.
1: I'm Kion Wolf. That's coming up next on Audacious. from Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is the second installment of our series featuring poets in my backyard, sitting around a fire, talking about poetry. Why this medium? What does it do to and for them? On the first episode, you met Suli Nett. Among many things, she's the author of Building a Powerhouse and Seeing in the Dark. At the end of our conversation, I asked her who should be next in this series. They are my favorite poet.
0: And their name is Andrew Dean Wright. He is an amazing poet. And I would be stoked if y'all spoke to one another. If y'all had, were in conversation with each other. He is a brilliant dude. <laughs> um, and he's so he's so good with words. I am such a fan. So. Andrew Dean-Wright, absolutely,
1: 100%. That's my vote. The chimes agree. Now, I know, and Andrew Dean-Wright knows, that when Sulinet calls, you answer. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Andrew, which we recorded on August 24th, 2022. Andrew Dean-Wright, thanks for being around my fire with me.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So I want to start our conversation, uh, by bringing up the poet Net who said you are her favorite poet. Yes. First of all, I'd like to hear, how does that feel? Hearing that Suleynet, this powerful poet, feels that you are her favorite. It
0: feels like quite a mix of things. There's a certain weight to that, right? Because Suleynet is such a, and I almost, feel like it's a cliche to say so but such a powerful individual uh that to be favored <laughs> in their eyes <laughs> right um is to is to kind of have i don't want to say expectation because Sulinet has made it very clear to me that i'm accepted there is a, a desire for me to step into my art but there isn't necessarily some kind of grand thing that i need to do to continue to hold a title so to speak um, so it's it is both a reminder of the support that I have in my artistic endeavors It sometimes can feel a little bit lonely or hard to feel like is anybody does anybody even see this? does anybody even like recognize what I'm doing or what have you especially when as of late I haven't been as active in the broader community. So to have someone who is still active and prolific and magnificent in so many ways on their own, um, give me any kind of phrases. It's both flattering and sobering.
1: You make me think about how, with the exception of Sulinette, when I think about poets, I don't think about cocky poets. I mean, don't get me wrong, a few come to mind, but there's a certain sort of Mm, modesty about poetry while there is also an exhibitionistic sense to poetry. Like, you're writing to express yourself, you're writing to connect. But it's also so often tender and so personal. So do you think that because you're walking that tightrope of knowing that you're a wonderful poet and also like, oh, she thinks I'm good? Like needing, not needing that validation, but wanting it. I'd like to hear more about that, that tension.
0: I think to speak to some of that tenderness that you kind of talk about i think that most if not i i'd say all art in a way is really about conveying a a feeling or an idea right and i think writing has a bit of a privilege in being a very literal version of that in some ways depending on how good you are at abstracting your ideas and to do that effectively, I think that has to have a level of vulnerability. Uh, one of the conversations I regularly have with some of the people I'm close to is the idea that vulnerability is how you get intimacy. And if you're not being vulnerable in your art, then I don't know.
1: What even is it? Yeah, what are you What are you doing, doing? here?
0: Right, it's like, okay. <laughs>
1: Did you grow up with that vulnerability being celebrated or encouraged?
0: Not super often, no, right? Uh, I had a great example in my mom in terms of being attached to writing overall, seeing her read and her reading to me and having those, you know, when I was very small, having that be a moment of connection with her. And just her seeing my excitement when she read to me all the time and being like hey i can teach you how to read so reading itself like learning how to read and write were a huge point of connection from me and my mom with one another and that just kind of carried on but there are plenty of other spaces and areas in my life where it didn't i didn't really feel like i was afforded afforded that level of intimacy I have conversations with some of my loved ones about gender roles and ideas and like being a soft boy, so to speak. And all of the ways sometimes I wrote specifically because I didn't feel like anyone would actually hear the feelings that I had that, you know, I would, or I would at least have to make it artistically meaningful for it to actually carry over to another person. I had to earn that year. There is, there's just a mix of all of that in there. When it comes to feeling like it's an avenue when I'm unheard or it's something that deepens connections with others, um, it's, it's served both of those purposes for me throughout my life.
1: The first poem that I want you to read, is called, The Reason.
0: That's one of my favorites, actually. Oh, yeah? Um, Yeah. It's a poem that I used to... I wrote at a very different point in my life, but has kind of persisted in its meaning for me through time, even though a lot of the images and concepts in it have kind of shifted. Biggest example being I was very religious at the time and I'm not anymore. And so the symbols in there mean different things to me, more or less, but they they still carry the weight. Like I think that regardless of my metaphysical leanings, the, the images, the stories still kind of hold true. A friend of mine once asked, Andrew, why poetry? of all things. I said, well, there's a written word and the spoken arts, so that answer kind of comes in two parts, but I'll do the best I can. For one, I speak because I take after my father. The origin of lights made me in its likeness. And despite the parts of me that are broken, I'm hoping to show you that I am just a fraction of the only true bard pulling shards of shrapnel out of myself so that you can see the spirit of God through the tears in this vessel. I speak because I want to share with you the lessons that I've learned. Because if I'm honest, These lessons are the only of my possessions that I have actually earned. I have bled for these lessons. So if they carry with them any measure of wealth, I would share that with you, my friends and my family. I would stand candid and naked before you like our parents did in the garden. In the days before these dudes limp the streets, bragging about how much their hearts have been hardened. It's true that a stone has more structural integrity than a sparrow, but a stone cannot fly. So if you must speak of stones, let us be like David, staring our giants right in between the eyes, because if we're honest, those giants are also you and I. True love can only exist where selfishness has died, so I refuse to be selfish any longer. I refuse to lock my life behind these lips when the one who keeps his eyes on little birds use words to make this world exist. This is when I am my strongest self. You can go and ask, Goliath. But before I get too long winded, let me talk to you about writing. See, I write because we can all be a little hard of hearing sometimes. And I learned early on in the times where no one would listen, there is power in the knowledge that it has been written and it has been written. Writing is where I acknowledge my weaknesses. It's where I become like Jericho, letting my walls fall so that God can march in and inhabit these bones. God inhabits these bones, so I break myself over pages for those words to supersede my own. Writing is a prayer. To make these experiences real. And to make these lessons concrete. My friend, I do poetry because that is the space where God and man meet.
1: I want to talk about the way that words can be playful even that way like that way and play not even that they rhyme but the fact that these words can sort of inform each other like how one word can be a clue to a word that may follow like they, they inform each other that way like in the poem that you just read the reason I heard I speak because I want to share with you the lessons I've learned because these lessons are the only of my possessions I have that I've actually earned, and it just, to me, it feels so playful. They feel related. And I wonder when you're writing, is that just, does that just happen in flow? Is that something more intentional than it feels? You know what I'm asking? I
0: would say it's a little bit of both. I genuinely love continuity, you know, the continuity throughout the piece itself especially because part of that does correlate well, like that drives well with the ability to do a bit of a stream of consciousness. I really enjoy the musicality that can come with it. Uh, the ability to kind of do the ups and downs and just continue the, the speech, you know, the moment. Um, I constantly am going gaga over, with my friends over um, musicians or like rappers or different poets who will have an entire piece where it is almost like a single continuation of a thought. Um, of course, there is a bit of fine-tuning that comes with that. I do typically only even put to paper what I feel flows well, but I still kind of do that thing that you do in AP Lit, <laughs> where you sit down with a, a, a poem that you're like, OK, what do they mean here? What does this say? What is this What is this device that's being used now in like do to inform the piece? And I will just go back and write, you know, do the same thing I did when I'm reading Shakespeare or whatever and cross out my own line here or underline and go, what did I mean by this? What does this say? What is a better image here? This image doesn't really track. Uh, So I'll go back and I'll do draft over draft over draft. Um, And especially with this piece, this one being one that I. This is at least a decade old. Um, so it's seen many iterations of the time.
1: Who are some of those writers that make your heart skip a beat?
0: Ooh, um, I'd have to say Khalil Gibran. In high school, during those classes and everything like that, I found the prophet, that book, and most of the people that I get close to, I at least, like, please, please read this.
1: You're going to um, wish you read this a lot earlier. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Yeah. But there's also like Shane Coyzon, there was a poem of his that I used to literally recite to myself every day on my way to work uh, called um, A Letter to Remind Myself Who I Am. And-
1: still have it memorized?
0: Not too much of it, um, but I can, I can always pull up the first few lines in my head. Um, so what does he say? He goes, um, dear me, this is you, me. Get up. The ground is your reward. It will hold you when you're done. Cancel all forks. You are not done. Put a silencing silencing finger to to the the lips of all singing fat ladies. this. This is not over. Reel in all finish lines. Steal the sound of the metal ringing hanging in the air and put it back in the bell. One more round we go. Get up. There are sunsets that need to be signed off on snowfalls that need your approval. Starring nights like sad lovers whose beauty has gone unnoticed in the glare of television sets. They are looking for volunteers to notice them. Raise your hand, step forward. That not always hits me and it stories. goes on. Um, and then, of course, because rap is poetry, I will assert that Lupe Fiasco is a, a genius, a genius. Every time I like, like mural, that eight minute long song from uh, was it is that tattoo on youth I believe um, she's just like she's just going <laughs> He's just going and um, just the density of his images and everything are amazing there as well. With the then it unties, then it relapsed, Then, it relaps, then, it detox, then he back like a heat pack on his kneecaps at the wee cause he want what we got like, yeah.
1: When you think about Lupe Fiasco putting a pen to paper, do you see yourself in that process too? Like, is that familiar to you?
0: Absolutely. It's a little circular, right? Because I see those influences. I see those, those artists that I think, wow. I'm like, how much word association did he have to do in order to get, like, that, that piece to be so dense. You, so much double entendre, triple entendre, you know, callbacks to eight bars ago where it's just like, oh, that gives context that I didn't even realize before. I'm like, okay, let me sit down. I'm going to do some word association. You know, what are the images that this word pulls out? Like that this word pulls to your mind? What are the feelings that I can... <sighs> um, yeah, and I see that and I want to emulate some of it especially because I enjoyed those breakdowns. You know, I enjoyed breaking down other poets' art and seeing, what does this mean? And I'll sit down and watch two hour long video essays, you know, about what did, you know, what did this one movie have to say? You know, well, let's look at the director, like the directorship, the editing, the, the camera angles, the, I love the art of storytelling in general. You know, I'll do that. I'll have those conversations about everything. And so I love, I love the mechanical side of it just as much as the organic side love assonance and alliteration and internal rhyme and I love seeing how I can play with it. I have a work in progress, a constant work in progress of like it's like a rap that I want to do where I just name Poetic Device and I just continue to use it from that point forward and I try to layer it but it's really <laughs>
1: So you and I will get around this fire again when it is complete? <laughs> yes. You're hearing my conversation with Hartford-based poet Andrew Dean Wright, who joined me in my backyard back in August of 2022. When we get back.
0: What if my brothers and sisters throughout the ages who turned plantations into open mic stages, who sang praises to the sound of their own swinging chains, who looked to your God for strength when their own strength waned? What about them?
1: I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me forge poetry like a young ornery seed receding spit it to the golden lock thoughts, who like they porridge jar
0: watery not scorching nor sorbity from the steel orbiting sorcerer sorcery coming down gorgeously just like a stacy dash waterfall a more torturing a waterboarding bobby doll a river of women like brazilian carnival swimming in feminine bikinis made out of bobosaw somebody give them-
1: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare.
0: Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. A lot of people struggle with sleep apnea and with CPAP machines. Dr. Carl Muller, a head and neck surgeon with Hartford Hospital, describes Inspire, a surgical alternative to the CPAP approach.
1: Only about 60% of patients can tolerate CPAP real well. Inspire is a surgical alternative to CPAP. It's an outpatient surgery, it takes about two hours, and essentially what it does is it picks up when you're taking a breath and sends a two second electrical pulse to the tongue, which causes the tongue to stick out a little bit and stiffen and prevent the airway from collapsing.
0: Hartford Hospital has performed more than 200 Inspire therapy surgeries. If you've tried and failed with CPAP, you could be a candidate for this minimally invasive procedure
1: patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea are candidates. There is a weight criteria, so you have to have a body mass index below 35, and you have to have to a tried and failed CPAP.
0: To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health.
1: This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, I'm sitting around a fire in my backyard with Hartford-based poet Andrew Dean Wright. He's the second in this series, recommended by the poet sulinet We'll have a link to her interview at ctpublic.org slash audacious. But now, let's get back to my conversation with Andrew. I'd love to hear you read your poem, The Preacher, quoting Paul, says to die daily.
0: The Preacher, quoting Paul, says to die daily. But if I should consider my brother as myself, I'm slightly appalled, this directive being an effortless aim when still black people pass like lunar phases, when canceled birthdays are commonplace. Pastor, daily death is a part of my history. My blackness like scripture, holy captured and twisted for the sake of mortal wishes. I understand the figurative nature of this statement. I don't disagree but your figurative phrasing has literal connotations and how could I not understand that selfishness and greed when it has always been imposed on those like me? What sin should be implied by my desire to stay alive? What if my brothers and sisters throughout the ages who turned plantations into open mic stages, who sang praises to the sound of their own swinging chains, who looked to your God for strength when their own strength waned, what about them? What trespasses would you attribute them for twisting from the lashes, pastor? There are pastors, other shepherds and other pastors who would not regard me as they would themselves. Who would say this used matchstick skin is evidence of the supposed fact that I am just a fraction of a man. My life, just a picture and caption in the nightly news. My blackness, just a trending fashion. My death, a shrug and a shit happens, pastor. What platitudes will you have for the mothers whose children's blood runs in streets across this country? When it feels like caskets outnumber graduation caps, Pastor, I think this tension deserves more than just a passing mention in your Sunday services. Pastor, the God you worship is supposed to be one of justice.
1: When did you write that one? even though it is evergreen
0: I don't even remember to be honest it feels like unfortunately it's a revolving door of relevant scenarios that <laughs> that might have spawned that I know it was it's been years but I unfortunately didn't make the date and I didn't want to make it too immediately topical which is why I didn't try to add too many specific names. Because, well, unfortunately, yeah, it is still relevant.
1: Um, When I hear you read that poem, I think that you as a black man, this has to be, not has to be, but It's on your radar, it's part of your life. When you drive home from my house tonight, you getting in your car is gonna be a totally different experience than me getting in my car in terms of fearing for our lives. Um, And so I think if you didn't write about this, like, what else would you be writing about? I don't know, I just think about how this being a part of what you're writing about. I wonder if it takes up the space of anything else but you also don't have an alternate life to compare it to.
0: I'd say that even in my position, like there are, of course, several aspects of privilege that I have and hold and you know engage in. Um, I'm a strong believer in intersectionality, but yeah, like there are going to be, there have been, there are things that create poems like that, right? And that's just from all of my lived experience, so familiarity with the church in general and the ways in which white supremacy and, and the church interact even within black church communities and having friends from white communities and seeing, going to their churches, going to different churches and seeing how these things are talked about or not the way our country itself, the way our superstructures incentivize or disincentivize, if not the conversation, at the very least, any effectual change being had by them. And honestly, I I think about it, and there are times where, of course, I'm just a person. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't come into effect. It doesn't do anything. But then, but there are times where even recently like someone that I hadn't spoken to in a long time just randomly messaged me just to slur and like you're just living life right you're just you're just enjoying yourself you're I'm just me I'm just and then suddenly the fact that I am what I am is a problem someone it makes everything about it yeah I I don't want it to be that's why I I hesitate to even write about it sometimes I don't I don't want it to be I don't want to be the person that just gets up and you know I don't want to be Oh, he's doing the identity politics thing (laughs) of course everything I do is informed by who I am and by my identity but you know (laughs) how else can it be right but it's a problem because somebody else made it a problem.
1: When you write a poem like that, how much of it is for you, and how much is it for the person listening or reading it?
0: I want to say 50-50. I want to say 100%,
1: 100%.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I very much... Believe in challenging the structures that you're a part of. My my boss loves me, by the way, at work. Um, <laughs> but I, I very much believe in in looking at the structures and the organizations and the things that you are deeply ingrained in, which I was at the time, and being like, okay, so like, what are we doing though? Like, we say we have this goal. We ha- we say we want this thing. We say we're going to aim for this. Then like, what is, what does this mean? And I think that that in and of itself that specifically can apply across the broad spectrum of not just you know religious structures but any organization that says hey we're here for the betterment of people it's like okay so how do like then why are we paying lip service why are we quiet why are we why are we just letting things go on as they are at the very least why are we not having this conversation because I've I've been to those those churches those spaces where you know I'll go to one church and it'll be a big you know that will be the sermon and then everybody will shake hands and have Kool-Aid and you know snacks and we'll go home and we'll go back to work and That'll be
1: it. I want to hear some love poems. Now, I think love is in every poem, but um, there's quite a few that I really love. Will you read, Dear Poet?
0: Dear Poet, I find you unbearably attractive. You've got me spaced out, crushing, hanging on to every word in our discussions. It feels familiar, but alien, how I'm captured in your tractor beam. And I'm not sure how much of it is the me I see in you or the you I see in me. But when you move your pen or move to speak, you move something in me.
1: Was that about one person?
0: It feels like a cop-out, but for a lot of these, some are ex- explicit exceptions, but for a lot of these, I'd say yes and no. There is usually an inciting incident.
1: <laughs> Those are the best. Yes.
0: Use. But I have to be honest with the amount of romanticization that sometimes goes into it, right? Like, like it almost feels unfair to be like, yeah, this is this one particular person when I'm kind of lumping all of my stuff onto them in the middle of that piece. But yeah, there was there is definitely someone who made me go, I have to write something like this, at the very least.
1: <laughs> now, I feel like uh, in the times I've written poetry, God, the love poems are just the easiest. Is that is that the way it is for you? I mean, and by easiest, I mean, they just I mean, they just create themselves in a way that no other subject can.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, It's really funny because there have been times where someone would be like, Andrew is a love poet. And I'd be like, what? (laughs) Like, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. And then I'd go back and I'd look through my poems and be like, oh, a majority of these are kind of in this space. Yeah. Huh. Um, It does just kind of you just kind of vomit it out a little bit. What do you make of
1: that? just that, that way that it has with us too. I almost at times would feel controlled by the poem as I was writing it. I don't know. What do, you, what do you make of that?
0: I think it's it works that way in the same way that for a while for myself at the very least writing poems about negative things was very easy as well. Articulating yourself when the feeling is strong can sometimes be a little bit I wouldn't say easy mode because it, you can lean over into the realm of being overwhelmed and, and not be able to articulate yourself at all. But I think in the same way that you come home and it's a hard day at work or what have you, and you're like, oh my God, I need to unload. Or something amazing happened. You're like, oh my goodness. And you're just talking forever about something you're... It's, it's why one of my favorite questions to ask people when I first meet them is, what are you passionate about? I think it draws your attention to something. It makes you pay attention. And when you love someone or something, you just take in so much more detail. You look at someone's, you just study your lover's face for five minutes. Like what else do you, like there are so many things you just glance at throughout the day or you maybe do a double take. But like there are times where you just see someone, you you just, your your pupils dilate and you're just locked in. Uh, And it's just like every single aspect of you deserves comment.
1: That was the poet, Andrew Dean Wright. We recorded this conversation in August of 2022. After the break.
0: For me, it's like, how do you deliver that information? How do you, what does that make you feel? What does that make you think of? What does that remind you of? How does it affect you as a person? I wanna engage in that even playfully if I can.
1: Plus, who does Andrew think should be next in this Poets by the Fire series? I'm Kyone Wolf. Find out next on Audacious. Be right back.
0: You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast in absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. If you've never donated to this station before, that's okay. Public radio is available to everyone for free. But we do rely on listener support from those who are able to give. So join the community of supporters for public media giving days. And thanks. Give now at ctpublic.org donate. This
1: is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Andrew Dean Wright is a Hartford-based poet who joined me for this second installment of conversations I'm having with poets around a fire in my backyard. We recorded it at the end of August 2022. Let's get back to it. When Suley so enthusiastically suggested I have you around this fire, I looked you up and actually one of our listeners wrote to me saying, I looked this guy up. I couldn't find anything. Where can I get his book? And so your stuff is not published with the exception of some on your Instagram. Why not?
0: I have a tendency to kind of shy away. As much as I talk about the ability for poems to allow me to connect and to convey meaning and what have you, I do find it hard at times to exist in the spaces where I I need to network and to you know to in- engage with. X, Y, and Z aspect.
1: Create of content? Yes.
0: Ugh. Um, I hate that word. I admittedly did start writing, at least to the degree I ended up writing, because I didn't have that many people to really convey some of those ideas to. And so it almost is surprising in a scary way to be like, oh, people. Want to see this. People want more of this? Oh. <laughs> you know, you just. It's almost like the fear of success, in a way. If people like it, and like, they have to follow up with something even even better. Or, you know, that, that level of consistency, or they have to show up for X, Y, and Z, or. A lot of it comes from just the deep introversion. (laughs) And that's why I think hearing things like, oh, Andrew Dean's my favorite poet, it is both terrifying and encouraging. Because part of me is like, I don't know how much I really want to make myself a public figure. I love writing I don't know that I love being what I would then become. And I think that that's one of the things that I'm reckoning with, even as I think about, like, I'm like, I would like to be published. That would be amazing. What does that mean for who I, like, for what I have to do? What am I going to then be responsible for as as far as my public showing of myself is concerned?
1: So you are a private poet. Correct me or amend me. When it comes to words, performance, any sort of slitting of a vein, to express yourself, to feel it, to communicate, so many of us need it to be received in order for it to be unlocked. But for you, well, it sounds like there is some truth to that for you in some circumstances, those are not the elements in the formula that activate the thing. Yeah.
0: Yes and no. Like, I think back to one of my most powerful experiences, uh, the Iron Poets Competition, a uh, trinity. For those who don't know. Yes.
1: Um, explain what that is.
0: Iron Poets Competition is a competition for spoken word artists to kind of test their metal, so to speak. And they hold a series of workshops as well to kind of discuss the craft of writing and performing poetry. And of course, at the end, they name winners and what have you, and you become the iron poet. There was one point where I got frustrated at some criticism that was given to me by one of the judges. During, I think it was an open mic portion. So when it was time to actually perform, I ended up going on and doing The Reason, the same poem from earlier. And there was a point during that where I felt as though I had fully entered the piece. And like, I knew that I had the audience. And they were just with me in it, and we were just locked in, and it was just us in that moment and that peace and that feeling. And I don't think I can say I have ever felt anything like that feeling in my life. So to say that I don't enjoy the public aspect, I feel is very selectively true because once I do get that feeling of connection, there's nothing like it. I have a hard time knowing how to get to that space. In general, like in just general life, you know, you meet somebody and you're like, "Hey, how's it going? How do we get past all of this preliminary stuff?" And I just, I'm like, "Okay, um, what are your thoughts about like determinism? You know, like, like that's not an opener, you know, like well, <laughs> maybe in my world, that's like that's a great opener." <laughs> but um, in that same way, there's a degree of I don't know i don't want to say fluff but that's it's hard for me to come up with another word in the moment that i feel like i have to engage with that drains me the moment where it clicks and it connects is when i'm like oh my goodness the world has opened up but i feel like i fight and struggle to get there
1: and i feel from what you were saying and how you were saying that that if you did publish a book and let's say it was so well received and you are going on a tour, and your performances are amazing, and you're in the zone, and you're getting those connections every time you go to the next stop, and the next stop, and the next stop. Tour's over, books are sold out, Instagram followers. And what I'm intuiting from you is that, then what? That pressure as an element may be corrosive to your process may stifle you, that pressure may make the entire process, which before you loved so much and felt so natural, suddenly you're a content creator. Am I intuiting that fear right?
0: I think so. And there's even a degree to which I think that happened, like you can probably tell with Instagram. Um, I remember I hit a thousand followers and I was like, ah, (laughs) and at that point it was i was still i don't know i was just writing and like let me throw this image on here you know on this 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 image on here and superimpose the words and throw it up and if it does gangbusters awesome if not who cares and then suddenly i'm like i hit a thousand and i'm like oh no i had i had someone stop me like in a store and was just like you're Andrew Dean writes, right? At the time I went by Meta Poetic, so it was a different thing, but you're Meta, right? And I was like, yeah. Like, oh my God, I follow you on Instagram. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And it was like, that's awesome. But also, oh my God, <laughs> you know? It does feel a little different when it starts to feel like an obligation. And it might not be fair to myself to, assume that that's going to be where I'm at before I even give myself a chance to be there because if I put out a book yeah, I put out a book okay what I get to do next is is still up for me to decide they, the pressure, so to speak would only be, ex- well it'll be external, but it, it'll be as internalized as I accept it Um, And I, I recognize that out of the gate, which is why when I hear like, Andrew Dean is my favorite poet, I'm like, that's amazing. And I want to live up to that to the best of my ability because I love writing and I love the connection and the people who love that writing entirely. There's so much of my own fear to overcome in that regard. It's just my own fear.
1: I'm just scared. Now everybody knows you're human, Andrew Dean Wright. When you picture yourself old and gray, if you be so lucky, what has poetry done for you?
0: I feel like poetry has taught me how to see the world. From Writing limericks in middle school, and learning about how fun it is to make up the rhymes and and see the people that chuckle at my little limerick about a guy who put, I think it was jello powder on himself and he became yellow because of it.
1: Because it rhymes with jello. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. That's
0: good. Yeah, genius already. Um, <laughs> to so like from that to high school and breaking down, like what do they mean here? What does this device used in this place mean for this? And one of my English teachers, Mr. and Mrs. Pesca, two different English teachers, um, that I, I had them both, uh, Mrs. Pesca, in the school newspaper, picking up the poetry section, she's so mean. She was just like, why is anyone else's poems even in this section? (laughs) She read my poem to the class. (laughs) And just being like, of course it was entirely cruel, but feeling so encouraged. Having people come alongside me and connecting with me and saying, continue. I see you, I see what you're doing. And being able to be encouraged in that same thing that also allows me to look deeper. How do I define this? How do we see this? Why do we see this this way? What does a symbol mean? I think it allows, I think poetry requires you to look more closely at your world. And I love the ability to do that. I love all of the small things. Because it's like, how would I, how would I say this? How would I convey this moment, this feeling? What are the things that I'm going to remember? And then then sharing that. Again, that vulnerability and that intimacy—I think it enables that—and
1: that's the state you want to be in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't—I don't know how else I could live. It seems like it would be, pardon the cliche, so hollow to not have that.
1: Do you feel like poetry is a part of your operating system? Or is it something that you feed and water so it stays?
0: There are times where I don't feed it and water it, at least not the way I, in my ideal world would. I do find that the things that I've learned from it so far persist. You know, they say like riding a bike, right, where. I'll, I'll see a piece of media or hear a new Lupe goes song or see something and I'll go, oh, my God. The alliteration there, or oh, my God, that image, the, the the way that that permeates the entirety of that piece, like just the casual use of simile and metaphor, you know, through day to day. I even attempt, when I tell my friends stories, I try to make them all as purple as possible, just as, just because so many, just because like so many stories, I feel like we tell each other on a casual basis and being like, yeah, I went to a place and a thing happened. And they're like, oh, cool. And to me, like, I feel as though I am crazy when I watch people have those kinds of conversations and they're like fully, like, I'm rude, but fully engaged, you know, in that where it's just like, yeah, this thing, I went to a place and this thing happened. And like, to me, the most thing I can go is like, that is a fact, you know? Or I'm like, for me, it's like, how, how do you deliver that information? How do you, what does that make you feel? What does that make you think of? What does that remind you of? How does it, you know, how did it affect you as a person?
1: Or what's the metaphor? Yeah.
0: I want to I engage in that even playfully if I can. Because it just, I, yeah, I need it as much as I need to feed it for it to continue in me. I, I think it just, I, the most I can do is again, equip myself with more of those tools to bring with me on my day to day.
1: So the hardest question of all, <clears throat> who should be next around this fire? Andrew Dean Wright.
0: Olusanya oh, Bay. It's very funny, actually. Um, uh, do you know Patrick Williams?
1: Oh, Patrick Rico Williams, yes. author of Jesus is Black?
0: Yes. yes. Absolutely. The other day, <laughs> he told me, he was like, There's two love poets in the area that make me not want to do love poems. And he's like, you and Olu. (laughs) So I think that's great.
1: Olusanya Bay.
0: Olusanya Bay.
1: Well, Andrew Dean Wright, thank you so much for sitting around this fire with me.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: There's a bit of poetic synchronicity going on here at Connecticut Public. My old friends at the Colin McEnroe Show just did an episode featuring three poets, Margaret Gibson, Yin Yi, and Matthew Zapruder. Check it out at ctpublic.org Colin. Audacious is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin DiMartinez, and Katie Tolarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, with help from our interns Jacob Gannon and Taylor Doyle. I'd mentioned that the episode that kicked off this Poets Around a Fire in My Backyard series featured Suli Nett. In addition to being a poet, she's also a visual artist, social worker, host of the Creative Alchemist podcast, Creative Workshop Facilitator, and she's the creator of A Little Bit of Death. That's an annual storytelling show that centers the voices of Black and Indigenous people, people of color, and folks from the queer community. I got to be part of it last year, and whew, for a show about death, it has just as much, if not more, life. We'll have a link to that episode and to our website where you can get tickets to the latest installment of A Little Bit of Death coming up soon, which will feature Andrew Dean Wright. More info at ctpublic.org slash audacious. Send me your poetry and love notes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kai Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.